Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Well, again, thanks for being here with us this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 is where we'll be at here in just a bit. It will take us a little while, but we'll get there eventually. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, no worries. You should just be able to Google Luke chapter 6, and you'll get there one way or the other. But that's where we'll be here in just a bit. Again, hope you guys had a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I know it was probably a little bit different for most all of us this year in one way or another, but I hope it was restful. Hope it was relaxing. Uh, I, for one, am ready to start a new year, even if all of the horrible stuff about 2020 will not just magically disappear. I at least hope it will gradually get better the further we get into 2021. And as a church family, what we're going to spend the first part of the year 2021 doing is uh, entering into a new teaching series that we call Formation. Uh, If you uh, have been around for more than about a year, you know that we do a version of this series every single year. We'll talk more about that in a bit. But we're doing a series called Formation, which, believe it or not, is not actually named after the Beyonce song. That would have been cool. I'm sure there are churches out there that have named teaching series after Beyonce songs. We, unfortunately, are not one of those churches, so sorry to let you down on that. Uh, What we mean when we talk about formation is we're referring to the idea of spiritual formation, which is really just a fancy way to talk about the art and science of how we change as human beings. That's what we're interested in in this series, is talking about how we change over time as human beings. Now, that issue right there, that topic, at least in its most generic form, it is a question that an awful lot of people have, is how do I change as a human being? Especially this time of year, right? So many of us right now are in the process of deciding, or maybe we already have decided, what we want to change about ourselves in this new year, in the form of New Year's resolutions. The next few days, some of us will start doing our best to become healthier, better, less anxious, less stressed out, maybe even slim down versions of ourselves. Now, some of us might be way more into that sort of thing than others. Some of us might be way more successful at it than others year after year. But there's just something about a new calendar year that just screams at us, this is your chance at a fresh start, right? As long as society has been around, at least as long as American society has been around, maybe even further back than that, everybody has at least thought about making New Year's resolutions. It's just part of how we think because we think this is our shot at change. This is our chance to become Different. Usually, this time of year, that is one of the most pressing things on people's minds. Now, I will say this year in particular, it might be the second most pressing issue, right after the question, how do we make sure the year 2021 is nothing like 2020 was, right? Maybe that's the first question on most of our minds. 
But still, the question of how we change is a question that a lot of us wonder about nonetheless. Whether it's this time of year or it's just always on our minds, we all want to change. All of us want to become different and ideally better types of human beings. And for followers of Jesus specifically, that question gets even more specific. Because for us, it's not just that we want to change in general, but that we want to change specifically to become more like Jesus. That's what we're after, is change in that particular direction. But I think all of this prompts the question, how do we actually do that? How do we actually change? How do we become these new and improved versions of ourselves? That's the million dollar question. Because if we knew that, we'd be a lot more successful in all of our efforts. And believe it or not, the Bible actually speaks to that question, how do we change as human beings? It speaks to that question on more than a few occasions. It is very interested in teaching us, the scriptures are, how we actually change as human beings. And that really is what we're going to dissect for a little bit this morning. But first, we need to quickly speak to one popular notion out there of how we change. Some people in our society, quite a lot of people, I might add, would insist that we change primarily through what we think. That's what a lot of people believe, that we change through what we think, meaning if we want to change as human beings, we primarily just need to get the right information into our minds, and that will create the change. This has been the predominant way of thinking about change in our country really ever since the Enlightenment, about 300 or so years ago. One of the people that originated this philosophy was a man named Rene Descartes. He believed that human beings were in essence thinking things. That was his terminology. That we all are essentially just brains on a stick. But the reality is you don't have to know anything about Descartes or philosophy to believe this method towards change. For example, I would submit to you this R. Kelly lyric for consideration. If you're wondering, that means we are covering Descartes and R. Kelly in the same teaching. You're welcome for that. So the philosopher R. Kelly says this, if I can see it, then I can do it. If I just believe it, there's nothing to it. I believe I can fly. That's from a song called I Believe I Can Fly a song written exclusively for the movie Space Jam, which as I understand it, is a documentary about a time that Michael Jordan used his basketball superpowers to save us from an invading alien race. That's the way I understand the movie, at least. Maybe you had a different idea. But here's the reason I bring it up. That line from that song, I think, is a perfect summation of the belief that we change primarily through what we think. Because did you hear the logic he used in those lines? He said, and I quote, if I can see it, meaning if I can envision something with my mind, then I can do it. If I just believe it, meaning if I intellectually agree with an idea in my mind, then there's nothing to it. So R. Kelly too, though he may not sit down and read philosophers like Descartes every night, he nonetheless agrees that we change primarily through what we think that we change primarily as the result of new information into our minds. And even though most of us wouldn't say that we got it from Descartes or from R. Kelly, we tend to believe this about change too. 
This is just how we are trained to think by our society, that if we just set our minds to something, if we learn something new, if we get new information into our heads, then transformation will automatically follow that. You will hear that message over and over again in a dozen different ways, which means this is probably what you believe about change, whether or not you realize you believe it. We tend to operate by this philosophy when it comes to how we change, that change primarily happens in our minds. If we want to become a healthier person, we read a blog post or 10 blog posts on dieting. If we want to become a more disciplined person, we subscribe to some sort of self-help podcast. If we want to become more organized, we follow 10 different Instagram accounts that post organizing tips of the day. If we want to change, we just assume that we just need to get the right information into our minds because we believe that change primarily happens through what we think. That's the assumption. And I will add that we have very much adopted this philosophy of change within the church at large. We also assume that the way people become more like Jesus is through how or what they think. We've concluded that the best way to help people grow is through simple information transfer, sermons, Bible studies, Sunday school classes, you name it. I mean, just think about the way this room is set up right now. I'm up here on stage spewing information about God and the Bible, and you guys are out there listening, maybe taking notes in hopes that it will make some sort of impact, that it will create some sort of change in you. In fact, I would argue that because the church has used this operating philosophy of change and only this operating philosophy of change for years might be the reason that we are really good at creating Christians that know a lot of things about God, but whose lives have not been transformed to look like the God of the Bible. I think we've created an environment where we have a lot of what we might call bobblehead Christians, Christians that are full of knowledge in their head about the Bible and about God and about Jesus and about the gospel, but whose lives have not been impacted by him in any substantial way. But that's a sermon for a different day. It's easy to see that even inside the church, we have believed that if we want people to change, the main thing we need to do is put more information, right, thinking about God into their minds. Now, before we go any further... It's worth mentioning that this philosophy, this ideal about how we change is not wrong. It's not incorrect. How we think is an important component in how we change. But I think it would be a mistake to believe that we change only through what we think. I don't think that's the way it works. And if we stop to think about it, I think we all actually know that. For instance, we'll make you raise your hands on this. But how many of us know already that working out more regularly would make us more healthy and more fit, and yet that has not created in us a desire to more regularly work out? How many of us know that spending less money on unnecessary things is the right and better thing to do, and our life would be better off if we learned to do that, and yet somehow have not learned how to spend less money on unnecessary things? So what we're saying there is that we have the right information. We know everything that we need to know, and yet somehow it is not leading to transformation in our lives as a result. 
That's because knowing the right things does not magically turn us into different types of people. Information does not inherently lead to transformation. And even as it relates to spiritual transformation, how many of us have known someone who seemed to have all sorts of right thinking about God in their minds. They knew their theology backwards and forwards. They could teach a graduate level theology class in seminary. And yet that person's life did not look remotely more like Jesus. Their posture towards others was mean and cruel and harsh and self-righteous, despite all the right thinking about grace and compassion that they had in their minds. That's because information does not inherently lead to transformation, and to believe that it does is to short-circuit change in your own life. So it would seem then that when it comes to how we change, we actually need something more than right thinking. We need something more. Right thinking is great, I'm a fan, part of my job is to help you guys think rightly about who God is, so I'm a fan of right thinking, but it's not enough on its own. It cannot actually change us on its own. So what else do we need? Well, that, I think, is where Luke 6 comes in. So all that in mind, let's take a look. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 46. This is Jesus talking, and he says this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So obviously that's a rhetorical question there. Jesus is implying that there is a contradiction in play in those who call him Lord and yet do not do the things that he said they should do. Lord, in his day, was a, was a sign of respect. It acknowledged some sort of submission to the person you were speaking to. Sort of like sir or ma'am today, but a lot more serious than that. So calling a person Lord and then blatantly disregarding the things that they were telling you to do was a contradiction in terms. It didn't make any sense. Jesus just calls that for what it is. And then he continues, verse 47, and this is the part I want us to zero in on for our time together this morning. Verse 47, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. If you like circling or underlining things in your Bible, go ahead and underline that phrase, puts them into practice. That's very important. Anyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. 48, they are a man building a house, who dug deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. So here... Jesus draws out a contrast between two different types of people. If you were around a couple months ago when we covered this identical passage in Matthew, the next minute or two will sound a bit familiar. But the contrast that Jesus is drawing out in these verses is between two different types of people. One person who hears what Jesus says to do and puts it into practice and another person who hears what Jesus says to do and does not put it into practice. That's the difference. That's the contrast. Jesus says that those two types of people will experience two very different life outcomes from one another. 
It will go well for the person who does put Jesus' teachings into practice, and it will go poorly for the person who does not put it into practice. Now, notice here that the contrast is not between the man who hears Jesus and the man who doesn't hear Jesus. Do you see that? That's not the contrast. It's not between the man who possesses the right information about God and the man who doesn't possess the right information about God. The contrast, rather, is between those who hear and practice and those who only hear. Do you see how that works? Which means apparently to Jesus as well, information alone is not sufficient to change us. Otherwise, both people in the story would have been in great shape, right? They both possessed the same thinking, the same information about God. They had the same information inserted into their brains. They both had the same message delivered to them. But Jesus is saying that it's not enough to just possess certain right thinking about God. That's a great and necessary place to start. That's where you have to start with everything, But in and of itself, it will not change you to just know right things about God. It will not lead to lasting, noticeable transformation in your life. What will change you is knowing those things about God and then putting them into practice. That's what makes the difference. To actually change, it's not enough to just know things. You have to do something with what you know. And it's not just enough, evidently, to do something with what you know one time, because Jesus says you have to put it into practice. You have to act on what you know over and over and over again. To put that another way, a central piece of how we change is through our habits. A central piece of how we change is through our habits, through the things that we do in our life over and over and over again. There's a guy by the name of James K.A. Smith. He wrote a fantastic book a few years ago on all of this called You Are What You Love. I would highly recommend that book to you. It's really, really good. It helps you think about all of this in even more detail. But in the book, he famously describes this whole process, this idea that we change through our habits with this memorable little sentence. He says, the things we do, do things to us. The things we do, do things to us. So there is a direct connection, in other words, between repetition and formation. Direct connection between repetition and formation. We become the people that we are largely based on the things that we choose to do over and over again in our life. Let me try to illustrate it to you like this. When I was about 12 years old, My dad and I walked into a Hardee's for an early morning breakfast, which is a sentence that only makes sense in the 1990s. So we go to Hardee's for this breakfast. We walk up to the counter, and my dad ordered a biscuit and a black coffee. And I thought that sounded like a grown man thing to do. So I walked up to the counter and also ordered a biscuit and a black coffee. Keep in mind, I was 12 years old at the time. So my dad understandably looked over at me and said, Kent, have you had coffee before? And I said, I'm 12 years old. Of course I have had coffee before. I drink it all the time. You just haven't noticed while we've been living in the same house that I drink it every single day. So my dad said, okay. We ordered the food. We sat down to our table. Funny thing was, 
I had not had coffee before. I took the first sip of my coffee and immediately spit it out onto the table, both because of the temperature and the taste. Because as a lot of you guys know, coffee to most people is what we might call an acquired taste. Most people don't drink coffee for the first time without anything in it and go, this tastes delightful. I would like to drink this for the rest of my life. It's an acquired taste. And at age 12, I did not inherently like black coffee, especially black coffee from Hardee's, right? But here's what happened over the next few years. My dad started showing me how to doctor up my coffee with enough cream and sugar that it essentially tasted like hot chocolate. Do you guys know what I mean? Some of us still drink coffee that way, right? So he would help me doctor it up to where it actually tasted pretty good. And he would help me do that. And I would drink coffee like that every single morning to the point that eventually I started doing less and less cream and sugar in my coffee to where the coffee actually tasted more like coffee. So what eventually happened is through a habit and a little help from caffeine, I'll admit that, but through a habit, what happened is that I eventually became the type of person that not only didn't hate coffee, I actually liked coffee, and eventually I became the type of person that actually loved coffee. I became a coffee drinker. A transformation of sorts occurred to where I am now a fundamentally different type of person than I was at age 12 in regards to coffee. The habit itself, practiced over and over again, actually changed a part of who I was as a result. Does that make sense? So our habits actually have the ability, this is always the way that it works, our habits have the ability to turn us into different sorts of people over time. Now, something that is so important for you to know is that this is the way it works in your life all of the time, whether you realize it is happening or not. Your habits are always shaping you in a particular direction. You have habits right now in your life that you practice on a regular basis that are currently transforming you into a certain type of person. For better or worse, in big ways and small ways, the question for us all is not, are we being formed? The question is, what direction are we being formed in? Formation is not a spiritual thing as much as it's a human thing. Every moment of our lives, everything that we do or don't do over and over again is forming us as human beings in a certain direction. So for instance, when you come home from work each day and you immediately turn on TV or Netflix and watch for one or two or six hours, that habit is forming you into a certain type of person. When you wake up each morning and before you do anything else, you immediately reach for your phone and spend 20 minutes scrolling through Instagram before you do anything else. That is forming you into a certain type of person. When you have a glass of red wine every night before you go to bed, when you stop to get a fast food breakfast every single morning on your way to work, all of those habits are forming you each time you participate in them. Or maybe a few more serious examples would be when you quit your job every time your job is mildly frustrating or difficult to you. That is forming you into a certain type of person. 
When you write off your friends every time one of those friends engages you on an aspect of your life that you don't want to be engaged on. When you do that, that is forming you into a certain type of person. When you go and find a new church every time you get just a little bit bored of your old one, all of that is forming you over time into a certain type of person. Our habits have the incredible ability to turn us into certain types of people all of the time, whether you realize it is happening or not. See, we often think that our habits are formed out of the things that we love. So this is why we say things like, well, I'm just lazy. I like to be lazy, and that's why I watch so much TV. Or I just get bored easily, and that's why I don't like to stay at one job for a long amount of time. And those things may be true to a certain extent. I see what we're saying there. But what I'm trying to show you is that it also works the other way around. What I'm trying to show you is that we are often lazy because we watch so much TV. We get bored easily because we have spent a lot of our life never staying in one place for very long. It's actually made us into the type of person who gets bored easily. Our habits over time form us into certain types of people. The things we do, do things to us. To use a well-known business principle that some of you have probably heard before, your system is perfectly designed to give you the results that you're currently getting. That's true in business, it's also true in our character. If we are not happy with the types of people we have become, we need to understand that the habits we have set up in our life got us to this point. And so if we're willing to change our habits, we can actually change as a result. But if we will not change our habits, not much about us will change. Does that make sense how that works? And here is where this becomes so immensely practical for followers of Jesus. If we want to become the types of people who look more like Jesus in our everyday life, our habits are a massive part of how we will get there. Now, I know when we start talking about all of this, I know some of you, depending on what church background you grew up in, maybe you start to get a little bit nervous and you're like, well, wait, this sounds like it's all about what we do and not about what God does. And I understand that pushback. I want you to know I really do. A really helpful quote for me is from a guy named D.A. Carson, who I think actually got it from another guy named Dallas Willard. It's hard to know where the quote originates. But they once said that uh, God's grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. God's, God's grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. I think sometimes we think that anything that requires effort is necessarily a contradiction or an enemy of God's grace. That's not actually the way that we see it unpacked in the scriptures, though. What we see in the scriptures is that God's grace actually inspires and motivates and sustains our efforts. Does that make sense? So they're not enemies, they're friends. They work hand in hand. Now there is a mindset where you think your effort actually earns God's grace towards you. And that's what we're all trying to avoid, right? That's what's called religion or maybe legalism. But that being said, effort is not opposed to God's grace. If we want to change as human beings, a large part of it is gonna come through grace-motivated effort to change our habits. Does that all make sense so far? So what we do is that each year, at the beginning of the year specifically, we do this series called Formation, 
where we focus on one particular practice, or we might call it a habit, that helps us to change into the image of Jesus over time. Over the years, Christians have often referred to these as spiritual disciplines. Some people don't like that language. I don't really care in particular what you call it. You may hear us call it disciplines or habits or practices. All of those in my mind are sort of interchangeable. But the point is that each new year, we want to learn or maybe relearn one practice, one habit that over the long haul can help us become more and more like Jesus. That's the goal with this series. And that being said, this year, we are going to focus specifically on the practice of rest. The practice of rest. We're going to be looking at how the Holy Spirit uses rest to form us over the long haul into the image of Jesus. How does that sound to you guys? Could anybody use some rest right about now? I know I could. So that's our pitch to you is that alongside whatever New Year's resolutions you are or are not making in 2021, I would like to invite you to consider making rest a priority in your life on a regular basis. Now, here's part of the reason we chose rest for this particular year. I don't know if you've thought about it like this, but there will likely not be a time, a better time in our lives to learn how to rest than right now. I mean, For the year of 2020, life for at least most of us kind of had to be substantially slower, right? I know there are exceptions to that. If you work in a medical profession or something like that, maybe it didn't slow down for you. But for at least the majority of us, 2020 forced us to slow down a little bit. So for most of us, our life in 2020, and maybe even still right now, has more margin in it than it likely ever will again in our lifetimes. Now, over the next six to 12 months, maybe a little bit longer, that's going to slowly change for a lot of us. There's now a vaccine. The vaccine is going to start making its way to more and more people. And things in our society are probably going to at least slowly start returning to some version of normal. And I praise God for that. But that means that for each of us as followers of Jesus, the temptation is going to be to immediately ramp our life back up to its previous levels of hurry, over busyness, and exhaustion. We're going to immediately sprint as fast as we can to that. But right now, before that really starts to happen, I think all of us have an incredible, maybe once in a lifetime opportunity to learn how to integrate rest into our lives. And then to build our life back around that as life returns to normal in our society. So that's one reason that I think right now is the perfect time for us to learn or relearn how to rest on a regular basis. Now, all of that said, I know some of us might be thinking, okay, but is rest really something that we have to spend a whole series learning how to do? Like, isn't rest just a matter of taking some time off? Like, how complicated could that be, really? And I would say it depends on what you mean by rest. If you just mean by rest not doing anything, you're probably right. That does not take a whole lot of learning how to do. Most of us are well-versed in how to do that, right? But if by rest you mean the biblical type of rest, the type of rest that restores and refreshes and replenishes you at a soul level, 
If that's what you mean by rest, well, then that's a little bit different. If you want the type of rest that turns you into a new, different, better type of human being that reflects the reality of who Jesus is more consistently to our world, that leads you towards physical and emotional and mental and spiritual health, if that's what we're after, then that's just a little bit more involved than just taking a day off every once in a while. Let me try to show you what I mean by all of this. Turn with me backwards a handful of pages to Matthew chapter 11 in the Bible. Matthew chapter 11. Before we're done today, I want us to spend just a quick amount of time talking about one of the more popular passages in the Bible about rest. But as we do, I want us to focus on one part of this passage that we sometimes tend to read right over, that we just sort of skim right past. So take a look with me, if you will, at Matthew 11, starting in verse 28. This is Jesus talking, and he says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, I won't make you raise your hands on this either, but let me just ask, how many of us in this room feel heavy laden? How many of us feel burdened? How many of us feel exhausted by life as it stands? I mean, especially ever after this past year, right? I mean, 2020 was just that sort of year for a lot of us. I don't know of many people that weren't just a little more worn out by December of last year. And for a lot of us, the 2020 stuff was just on top of our already exhausting lives, We've got the the job, the career, the degree or the degrees that we are working towards. We've got the roommates or the boyfriend or the girlfriend or the wife or the husband, maybe the kids too. And then on top of that, we've got all of the things that we really know we should be doing that we just can't ever seem to get to. Cleaning the house, organizing our lives, working out, eating more healthy, keeping up with family and friendships. We, a lot of us feel like we are being a, a bad friend to this person in this way. We're being a bad mom or a bad dad or, or son or daughter-in-law in all of these ways. We, we feel like we're being a bad student or a bad employee in all of these ways. And all of that collectively can just be flat out exhausting. And for at least a lot of us that follow Jesus, there sometimes can can be this religious guilt that we drape over the top of everything else. We feel like we're not reading the Bible as much as we should. We're not praying as much as we should. We're not doing enough good things in the world. We're not telling enough people about Jesus. So now we we don't just have regular burnout, we have religious burnout as well. So I know a lot of you are tracking with me when I say that life can just get flat exhausting to us. And in the midst to all of that, Jesus says to you and to me, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Come to me, he says, and you can find reprieve and release and restoration from all of that. I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases those verses from Matthew 11 in his message translation. He puts it like this. Are you tired, worn out, 
burned out on religion, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Just one verse earlier in Matthew chapter 11, before he says all of this, Jesus prefaces all of it by saying that no one comes to the Father except the Son and anyone who the Son chooses to reveal him to. That's the setup. So true, soul-restoring rest comes only from knowing God the Father through Jesus. When you enter into a relationship with God made possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you gain access to rest for your soul. That's what's on offer. You find shelter from the burnout and the exhaustion that is life in our modern world. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, if you don't hear anything else that I say, hear me say this, true rest is only available through Jesus. True rest is only available there. And it's available to each one of us there. But that said, I I do want you to notice that Jesus in this passage does not say that rest comes automatically just as a result of knowing Jesus. Look back at the passage with me. So in verse 28, Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Simple enough. But then he circles back around and he says the same thing, but he gives a little more detail this time. Verse 28 says what is available to us. Verse 29 tells us how we access what is available to us. Verse 29 tells us that rest comes through taking up Jesus's yoke and learning from him. He says that that is how we find the rest on offer through him, by taking on his yoke. Now, the word yoke in Jesus' day was shorthand for a rabbi's set of teachings or practices. So to take on a rabbi's yoke was to take on his way of approaching life in general. It was to model your way of life after his way of life. It was to imitate him, not just in the things that he knew or believed or thought, but in the very way that he structured his day-to-day life rhythms. So Jesus says, if you want to find rest for your souls, you will need to model your life after my life. If you want to access the life that is available through Jesus, you actually need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. You need to make his rhythms of life your rhythms of life. So rest is not just about taking some time off every once in a while or about taking a vacation or about vegging out and watching Netflix for a couple days a week. It's about restructuring your life around the things that Jesus says leads to rest. That's where you find it. It's not just about how you approach your time or your day or your week off. It's about how you approach the entire rhythm of your life. I think a lot of us want to keep our lives full of busyness and exhaustion and overcommitment and everything else. And then we want to just pray for Jesus to give us peace and rest and go, ah, thank you, Jesus. But that's not the way that it works. Jesus says, if you want the life that is available to you through me, 
You have to learn to imitate my lifestyle. You have to learn to model your day-to-day rhythms after my day-to-day rhythms. That's where you find true rest. So maybe this will help. I want you to imagine that you're back at your first day of school. I know for some of you that's a nightmare. The one recurring nightmare I have in my life is that I didn't complete all the credits I needed to graduate, and now I have to go back and do school again. So I I identify with you if that sounds like a nightmare to you. But imagine it's your first day at school, and you show up, and your teacher says, okay, here's everything you need for your classes. And they hand you some pencils and some paper and a couple textbooks and some notebooks and some folders and some highlighters and pens and pencils and erasers and they just hand all of this to you in a heap and say, here you go, you need this for every class. You have to walk from class to class holding all of this. Chances are that's gonna be overwhelming, right? You're gonna walk down the hallway constantly spilling out pens and paper and everything else because holding all of that in your arms is very difficult to do. Now imagine you, you go back to that teacher and they say, oh, I forgot to give you a backpack. Here's your backpack. And there's a place in it for everything, for the pens and the paper and the textbooks and the folders and the notebooks and the highlighters and all of that. There's a place for everything. Now all of a sudden, while nothing has really changed about what you have to carry, you still have the same amount of stuff. If anything, you've got one more thing, right? You've got the backpack. You're still carrying the same amount of stuff, but how much easier is it? Now, it still takes effort, right? It still takes energy. Anybody who's walked around, college students in the room, if you've walked around with a backpack on the whole day, you feel the soreness on your shoulders, right? So it's, it's not that it doesn't take effort. It's not that it doesn't take energy, but all of a sudden it's manageable, I think in a way, that's what Jesus is trying to give us when he says to take up his yoke. It's not that he's necessarily saying to just start slicing stuff out of your life and to just, you know, take back all your commitments and not do anything except sit around with your Bible and just bathe in the Shekinah glory of God. Like, that's not what he's after here. What he's trying to do is he's trying to give you a more manageable way to carry everything that you have to carry. He's trying to give you a way to to manage all of that in such a way that leads to actual rest. But the trick is we have to be willing to learn from his rhythm of life. If we are attached to our life looking exactly like it looks right now, we will not find the type of rest on offer. But if we are willing to take up the yoke of Jesus, if we're willing to come to him and learn from him to make his rhythms of life our rhythms of life, to go about our day-to-day like he went about his day-to-day. If we're willing to do that, true rest is available to us. So I pray that we're willing to consider that. So here's what we're gonna do. For the rest of this series, we have actually put out a, um, what we call a practice guide. Very simple, you can find it as a PDF on our website. But it's basically a book full of practices most of which directly correspond to a week of this series that we're going through. But each of them are simply meant to help us learn the yoke of Jesus that leads to rest. They are habits that we can put into practice on a regular basis that lead us to the true rest that Jesus has on offer. So listen, whether or not you choose to go through the practice guide with us, 
is entirely up to you. Nobody is making you do it. I obviously think it would be a good idea for a lot of us to go through it, but whether or not you want to is entirely up to you. It's your choice. And I will just go ahead and warn you, if you choose to go through this with us, there are likely going to be moments during the series as you go through the practice guide where you think to yourself, man, rest takes work. Rest takes energy. (laughs) Rest takes effort. And you're not wrong in thinking that. We just got done talking about how there is a certain paradoxical nature about how we learn true rest from Jesus. The truth, like Jesus says, is that rest is not just something we stumble into. It's not just something we wake up in the morning and just inherently know how to do. It's something that we learn from Jesus how to do. So the question I have for all of us as we close is just this. Are we willing to learn from Jesus how to take a real rest? Are we willing to structure our lives like he structures his? For the rest of the series, like I said, we are going to give you some specific practices to participate in to make that happen, to generate those habits in your life. But for this morning, for this week, I just want to ask you, are you willing to learn from Jesus how to take a real rest? If you are, there is rest for the taking. Let me pray for us. Father, um, thank you that you grant us rest. That in Jesus we have access to um, the restoration that we all need. That you offer us um, a place where we can take a breath and recover from the constant activity of our modern world. God, I feel confident that probably a lot of us in this room um, are even having trouble imagining what that would feel like. To not constantly need to achieve one more thing to not constantly need to show up at one more commitment, to not constantly feel like we're failing to do all the things that we should be doing. For some of us, um, man, it just sounds like a pipe dream. But God, we know that um, in you, nothing is too good to be true. God, that everything you promise, you will fulfill. Everything you offer us, you'll follow up on. And so God, maybe even right now, um, maybe for some of us, this moment is the first moment of silence we've had in a while. And so maybe we just, right now, just, just pause and take a breath. Breathe in your goodness. Breathe out the pressure that we've been putting on our own shoulders. God, we rejoice in the fact that in you there is rest. 
if we're willing to enter into it. So God, my prayer is that you would help us um, this week over the course of this series, you would help us to, um, to critically evaluate all of the things in our lives that seem to be preventing us from entering that rest. That you would help the, the vision of a life lived with you and a life lived well, that you would help that to motivate us that even if it takes work, even if it takes effort, even if it doesn't happen as immediately as we want it to happen, God, would you help us to experience the rest that is on offer to us? God, I ask that even today that your spirit would speak to us, that he would, that he would point out things in our life that we need to be thinking on, that he would that he would help us to know next steps or, or what things we need to be listening for or focusing on over the course of this series. Or maybe for some of us, it just needs to start with sitting and hearing you speak over us who we are, what's true of us through Jesus. God, until we understand that, life will be exhausting. But as we know that, as we learn to put that reality into practice in a bunch of different ways, I believe that we have rest. We can find it, we can enjoy it, we can experience it on a regular basis. So God, that's our prayer. Would you begin that process in us today? We ask this in your name. Amen.